Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, June 5th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer Squat Chen Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. So it's it's been a week. <laughs> it's, I, I feel like, you know how we've been saying that each week has felt like it was like a month? Now I feel like this past week felt like it was a year. I, I, I just feel so emotionally drained. I don't know about you guys. No, I, I am completely drained, completely fed up, uh, just ready to go take a hard sleep when this day is over. Yeah, I, I think we, we need to open this podcast and say that, you know, we all support Black Lives Matters. Uh, we we are behind that movement. I mean, if you haven't read the site, we shut down the site for a day uh, in in service of that. Uh, but I mean, OK, let, let, let's jump into what we've been doing, I, I guess. Um, it, it's weird because, like, I never thought I would experience a global p- pandemic and like now we're like living in the middle of that. And, you know, growing up when I was in middle school, the LA riots happened and I watched, you know, <laughs> from Massachusetts, from very far away, seeing everything was happening. And it like felt like a completely different place. Do you know what I mean? It, like I, I felt so isolated from what was happening this, I don't know. It's tough, man. It's a it's a tough time. It's just one thing on top of another, and it's th- this especially the latest thing. I think it it weighs even heavier just because rather than having something that we can't control and trying to fight against it, this is something that is extremely in our control and is just absolute injustice, and that we have to deal with people make like willfully making terrible decisions and how they treat people and just the 
the, the fact that we even have to fight about this is preposterous and, <laughs> and saddening. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> things have to change. And it's just like living through this last week has been like a roller coaster of emotions. Like, I, like my house, my apartment is blocks away from where there was like riots with, you know, cop cars set on fire and store after store looted and police shooting tear gas into protesters. I don't want to make this about violence. This is not what uh, this whole thing is about. But uh, I mean, in some in some ways, actually, that is, that is exactly I mean, yeah, it, what it's about. But I, but I understand yeah, what, what you're I saying. Wanna, I don't want to make it about the rioting and looting. Like, that's not what I think this is about. Um. I don't know. It, it, it's just very scary. It's very scary, but it's at, at the same time, it's. I'm hopeful that there's going to be some change here. I yeah, I agree with you, Peter. I think that it's it's all like all of this is coming to a boiling point, and um, being you know, for me being back in the suburbs of D.C., I am still a little bit removed from it, but I am. Uh, I think that like it's it feels like something is shifting in our country right now and not to make this like a speech about what is happening and everything yeah. like that. And I, I also do want to like uh, you know, put out there that, you know, every for what we are experiencing, a lot of people out there are experiencing far worse and that our sympathy and our empathy are out there with you. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, it's just it's it's just um it's tough times for everyone all around and uh I, yeah, I especially this, yeah, this, this isn't about us. Close to it. Yeah. I've been spending this last week like mostly like watching the news. And the news is like scary. It, it's all focused on like, you know, the the looting and the violence and the fear. And I don't know. I, I, I've, I've like tried to spend some time online reading about this, trying like my best <sighs> to find out how I can be more a, be, a better ally and do more. Yeah, I, I know how you feel, Peter, because it's one of those weird cases where like I, I sit back every day at work and I'm thinking, what, what what good is my work doing the current situation? And the answer really feels like nothing, which is why our Blackout Tuesday post, although I felt it was a good use of the best possible thing we could have done on that day, I feel so incredibly powerless and useless in the face of this. And that's the worst thing to feel because, you know, one person, yeah, is going to be powerless, but people together aren't. So like you, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to grapple with, you know, should I be out there protesting? Should I, you know, take the off from work and go downtown where, just the other day, uh, Austin police uh, shot non-lethal rounds at a guy and almost killed him and then shot at the people trying to carry his body to safety. You know, I, should I be there? And the answer is the answer is probably yes. But the answer is also, I'm a coward. I have a family. You know, I have, if I if I was put in the hospital, you know, what, what would happen to the site and the people who, who need me to make sure things are running and they have their jobs? It's I feel yeah. so powerless in a way that is profound. And in, in history class growing up, it's like, oh, the civil rights movement, if that, if I was live in the 60s, I would be marching out there and here's my chance. And here I am not doing anything. And that makes me feel so cowardly. And I, I can't, 
every single waking moment is me grappling with that in a way that in, 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 in feelings that like if nothing changed as a white male, I would be okay. And that is a terrifying, selfish thing to think about. And I, I'm, I'm thinking about that every second of my life right now. And maybe that's step one. I just need to find my way to step two. Yeah. Like, I mean, I honestly don't know what to say about this last week. I can tell you that like, you know, black lives matter, but I don't think saying that is enough. I don't think putting a black screen on your Instagram is enough. I don't know. What you're saying is true. It's a, it's, when I was younger, I wanted to be a screenwriter, and I read this book from Sid Field called Screenplay, and in that book, he says a bit that is, I mean, it's obvious, but it's the first place I read it, and it is that action is character and character is action, and it's not what you say that defines you as a character, it's what you do, and I've been thinking a lot about that. Okay, I think we need to... <sighs> move past this we need to go to regular water cooler stuff jacob what have you been doing this week i've been trying to find some kind of zen space and um the good folks at mondo sent me a puzzle uh a uh specifically they asked me if i wanted to sample one of their new line of puzzles and i tried out a diehard puzzle it is a recreation of the poster from 100 percent soft which is a company or a artist that does like very cutesy things so it's a very cutesy version of diehard so i've been trying to zone out uh for doing a puzzle for the first time since i was a child and guys puzzles are fucking hard <laughs> thousand piece puzzles uh full of lots of characters are really hard and i thought this would be a super zen thing to do it turns out really really frustrating and i may hate it i may hate you puzzles a lot you're dreaming about puzzles yet uh, not yet i have so many hobbies um i have too many hobbies uh if you, follow my, if you follow my Instagram feed, you know I, 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 I'm I painting constantly, and I thought, this would be a nice break from painting, and it turns out, no, I, every time I'm doing a puzzle, I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore, I hate this so much, my wife and I had this puzzle, maybe 45% of the way done on our coffee table, we're just staring at it, going, do we, do we want to do this, do we want to finish this nightmare? <laughs> uh, I, I got a puzzle like a year ago with Ketra, it was like a Star Wars puzzle, and we had it on the table for like a week, and I think like we gave up when we figured we couldn't even get the edges. We couldn't even figure out the edges. <laughs> we figured out the edges. We, we built the edges first, but then and that all downhill from there. I um I got obsessed with um doing this one puzzle when I was uh, last year uh, with my family over the summer, and it took us like a week to do. It was this uh, cityscape or like a coastal landscape of some town in Italy, and it was impossible because there were like five colors of the sky. Um, and we were working at this puzzle for so long for so many hours, um, that I started dreaming about this puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> and just thinking about it all the time but once you finish it it's so rewarding guys i just gotta say puzzles rule and once you finish it you'll just be like i don't want to take it apart i want to frame this and show all the hard work i've done <laughs> have you ever framed a puzzle i've seen people like have yeah. framed puzzles and put them on their walls and yeah. i always thought that was kind of cool but also strange it's because you put so much blood, sweat, and tears into it. Um, when I was little, I used to frame my puzzles, but I don't have any new puzzles yet. I, I kind of want to get back into puzzling, though. I, I bought a couple of uh, the Mondo puzzles as well. We, we haven't started them yet, but I'm particularly excited to build one of them because they turned DKNG's uh, Home Alone print, which is like a holy grail to me. That's It's super expensive if you want to try and get a, um, a hold of it now. It's uh, of the McAllister house at night. 
And so they turned it into a puzzle and I immediately jumped on that. And that's when we put it together, I'm definitely going to put it in a frame so that I can have that on the wall. Hmm. Um, I, I recently backed there on Kickstarter. I think it's on there right now. There is a puzzle, a series of puzzles. Actually, it probably just ended, but it was from the guys that did Cards Against Humanity. Um, and I think it was like the largest Kickstarter for a puzzle ever. It was like, I think it made like $4 million or something like that. I backed that, uh, but that won't be in my hands for quite a bit. So, yeah. Uh, Brad, what have you been up to? So last time um, we talked, or at least, I don't know if I mentioned it on here. I think I did. Um, I was supposed to go to the drive-in because they were having a double feature of retro movies. Uh, they were doing Back to the Future and Jaws. We ended up not going because, for, first of all, we heard that the screen they were showing it on was apparently really dirty and much smaller than the other screens they were showing movies on. And I saw a few complaints uh, on the, the drive-ins page which I also saw ended up getting deleted, which made me even more concerned about the state of that screen. And so what we actually decided to do instead uh, was basically make our own quote-unquote drive-in or outdoor movie theater because uh, we um, one of my friends has uh, a projector and a screen that he had gotten as a birthday gift uh, a while back, and he's had a couple outdoor movie nights at his place uh, for uh, little get-togethers. And we have a big speaker that we use for some of our charity events when we need extra extra audio. So we brought all that stuff together and set it up in the backyard. It was a really nice night, the night we were intending to go, and we set it up to watch uh, movies in the backyard. And the sound was awesome. Uh, we live in an area where like we're not right on top of each other as far as our neighbors are concerned. There's a parking lot and a church next to us, so we have plenty of open space. And so we just set up a bonfire and had some some food and snacks and uh, just had an outdoor movie night. And it's it, it is awesome. And we're definitely doing it again this weekend. Well, that sounds like fun. So, like, how big is the screen? Uh, it's um fif- fifteen feet. So, like the same. That's fif- or, yeah, oh, yeah, wow. or fifteen feet. No, yeah, that's right. Yeah, fifteen feet. So the same way that you like you would measure television size diagonal corner to corner i wish i was doing something as exciting as building my own movie theater outside i, I, I feel like you, you probably could do it on your uh your yeah. balcony couldn't you i probably could but i'm sure the neighbors would complain of noise i i guess we could wear air buds yeah so actually <laughs> yeah my friend my friend max actually him and his girlfriend they have they set up a projector and a screen outside and so that they wouldn't piss off their neighbors they got a bluetooth transmitter and headphones so they that's that's how they do it that's so interesting have you ever seen like those like when in a club they do like the silent dj yeah where everybody's wearing like headphones and listening to the music but there's no music blaring. It's so weird. <laughs> um, when when I saw, uh, I want to say it was La La Land, or I don't remember the movies now, but on top of the uh, Montalban Theater in Hollywood, um, I talked about that uh, going to see a movie up there uh, with my wife probably a year plus ago on this podcast. But um, that's how they do it. They have they give everybody like uh, you know soundproof headphones and stuff and just play the movie up there. So the because it's right in the middle of hollywood and there's like tons of businesses around there and apartment buildings and stuff and they don't want anybody complaining about noise but uh it works pretty well if you've got a decent pair of headphones peter i just yeah. want to point out that you meant to say airpods but you said air buds 
Air Bud is a dog who plays basketball. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fun fact, for those who don't know. I, I was combining AirPods and earbuds. No, I know what, what you I were doing. I just, I just felt the need to point that out for all those AirBuds yeah. fans out there. But now, now all I want is a movie that is just filled with AirBuds. <laughs> but the question is, can you watch AirBuds on Disney Plus? I, and if you can watch Air Buds, can you watch like that? I think there's like 20 sequels or there something. There are a lot. There's like one where they go to space. It's called like Space Buddies. <laughs> there's a lot of sequels. Yeah, there's Christmas. Maybe someone should like sit down and watch every. That should be like a feature. There's Christmas someone ones. Should sit down. Are you volunteering, Chris? Maybe I should do that. I will watch every single Air Bud movie. I can't wait until you get It'll to Santa me. Paws. <laughs> It'll take me a very long time. <laughs> That'll be my next podcast. After I finish the Spielberg one, I'll start the Airbuds. 21st podcast. century Airbuds. <laughs> <laughs> HD, what have you been up to? Uh, this past weekend, um, I, I participated in the Film Stages Cinephile Game Night with Jacob and Chris and uh, Matt Donato. And we played the Cinephile Game, which is sort of a fun film trivia game, but like kind of different twists on it there's uh you know six degrees of separation and filmography and that kind of thing where you play more than just listing off trivia that you know and um we played for the minnesota freedom fund um which is the bail fund for uh protesters in minnesota and um it was um it was a fun game it was a, a an hour-long game and we played against the film uh stage and um we lost <laughs> very badly uh it turns out jacob and uh chris and i are well no actually jacob and matt and i are really bad at trivia but chris is much better and uh could only carry us so far um but uh, <laughs> it was a lot of it was quite fun i actually am considering buying this game after playing this because i just had so much fun despite not knowing half most of sharon stone's um filmography a lot of yeah i just I, I felt a little bad about missing some of the Morgan Freeman ones that we that we got, but it was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it a lot, and um, you guys can watch the full uh, Zoom um, live stream on the Cinephiles uh, Twitter. I think it's Cinephile Game um, at Cinephile Game, and uh, you can you yeah, know, we'll, we'll link it in the show notes. Yes, so um, I uh, yeah, that's what I participated in. And Jacob and Chris, did you have anything you wanted to add about um, playing in the game night? I will add that I was better at Sharon Stone than all of you, so bleh. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's because I her her peak was in like in the nineties and uh I only knew two of her films from that time, so you know, I can't I I just it's not my fault. Maybe it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> the Morgan Freeman round in particular was uh humiliating because we we just totally started blanking on Morgan Freeman movies. I, I will add that if I was participating in this, you guys would have done much worse because I am horrible at trivia. I, or I, I'm good at trivia. I'm bad at being fast at trivia. So uh, what what was like your favorite like game? Like, did you guys do different versions of the game? We did. I just don't yes. remember what they were called. But uh... yeah. what was, was your favorite? Was, um, the first one was filmography. And then uh, there was one called movie actor. Which is uh, oh, this was actually kind of a fun one where you I think um, take a, get a card which lists uh, a movie or an actor, and then we kind of rotate like from there. So someone lists an actor, and the next person has to list a movie that that actor was in, and then the next person has to list uh, 
an actor who was in that movie and kind of go on from there until someone forgets or is un- unable to come up with a uh, an answer. And uh, oh, and we played Six Degrees too, which is like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, but with act- different actors. I have this game, but I have yet to get it to the table. And with this pandemic going on, it's probably not happening anytime soon. So well, I guess it could happen over Zoom. Yeah. yeah, we should we should do the Zoom thing. I will say it was a lot of fun. You know, I'm a I'm a recluse by nature, but I will say like seeing everyone on the screen because obviously we talk on on this podcast, but being able to like see people was like it was a it was a nice uh, distraction for a while. Like oh, we're all hanging out virtually. It was it was it was fun. It, it reminded me that sometimes it's okay to hang out with people. Sometimes very rare. <laughs> yeah. We should do one between all of us. That would be fun. <laughs> I'm up for it. Let's do it. Sure. Uh, okay, let's move on to uh, what we've been reading. Jacob, what have you been reading? Uh, I've been putting off reading for a little while now. As I've discussed on the show before, my favorite thing in the world is to go out of the house and read out of the house. And once I stopped being an option, it became very hard for me to catch up in reading. But I said the best way to get back in was to start a project, something that I could really, really dive into. So I've started reading uh, War and Peace, the 1860-something Leo Tolstoy Russian novel. It's going to be one of the greatest slash most difficult novels of all time. I'm not far into it. I'm taking my sweet time. I'm not trying to rush it. I'm going to take breaks during it and read other things, shorter, easier things. Um, one thing the uh, translation notes say to start the introduction is this really good primer on what to expect more or less from the translator is that um, he said a lot of the previous translations would substitute the Russian turn of phrase with familiar English phrases to make it easier on English readers, but would lose what made the rhythm of the original writing so special. So this translation, which is a very recent one, attempts to replicate the um, rhythm, tone, and pace of the original Russian, uh, which means that uh reading it can be a little tricky, uh, especially since it's written for an audience of 1860s Russians as opposed to 2020 Americans. Uh, so I'm, tr- so I'm trying to grapple with that. Um, but so far so good. Um, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to finish war and peace. Uh, <laughs> so that's where I am right now. I'm curious. Does anybody else have like a, like, uh, to use another literary reference, uh, the white whale book, the one they really know they want to go after someday, because I think war and peace is one of mine. Uh, Les Miserables is one for me because it's one that I got like this huge giant hardcover version from when I was a kid and it's been sitting in this in my childhood bookcase for years and I got through the first chapter before I was I was like I can't read this and this was back when I was in like middle school so understandable that I couldn't get through it but it's just um something that I've always wanted to get through despite having seen the musical um movie i just want to read the original book and get that done but it's just kind of staring at me i even took it with me to new york i think and just so i could finally get it done there was this guy who lived near me in in my apartment and i guess he died and left uh, a lot of his stuff to his family and they were looking to sell everything off and this was a while ago and i think i probably talked about it a little bit on the podcast but 
he one of the items in his collection was this huge selection of classic novels that are all that are all like hardbound in the same style. So I have a ton of, you know, Crime and Punishment and like all the all the classic novels that I probably should have been assigned to read in, in like high school English classes, but for some reason wasn't for a lot of them. Um, so I've been like very, very slowly trying to make my way through that. So Jacob, my white whale is sort of like a a pod of whales or like what, what is it called when <laughs> whales are in a group um but uh it is a pod by the way yeah, yeah. so it's like you know it, i think i'm gonna try to read you know three of these a year or something and who knows how long <laughs> it'll take me i don't even know how many of these books i have it's a lot but <laughs> I, I do want to say that i got through one white whale that i had for a while it was a uh, hundred years of solitude by uh gabrielle garcia marquez and it took me a little more than two years to finish reading this book. It's just the densest, uh, hardest to follow book I'd read ever, I think, or maybe at least in a long, long time. And I would just um, keep going at it and keep, keep chipping at it until the spine was all cracked and um, I had finished like many other books in the meanwhile. But that was one that I finished after a little bit more than two years. So you can do it, Jacob. You know, one of my previous White Whale books, uh, my previous White Whale stack was... Um, uh, Anthem by Neil Stevenson, which I got a hundred pages into and was so bored by, but all my friends say, if you get over the hump, it gets really, really good. So I need, I need to retackle it. Uh, Infinite Jest because I'm that guy and it used to be House of Leaves. Um, Cause I, I bounced off it really hard a couple years ago, but when I finally finished House of Leaves, it was one of the best books I've ever read. So I, I replaced House of Leaves with War and Peace. So that's, that's my current trio of white whales. <laughs> I admire you guys that you would, try to tackle these kind of books but like i don't know for, from my viewpoint if it's not enjoyable if it, if it becomes work then what's the point that's why the classics i'm tackling uh i'm beginning with one fish two fish red fish blue fish uh and it has it has a lot to say <laughs> about today's environment guys <laughs> yes it does uh hc what have you been reading well, speaking of environment, I have been reading the original manga for Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Um, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind is Hayao Miyazaki's uh, first feature film for Studio Ghibli and a movie that would, you know, shape the rest of Ghibli's movies and his movies for years to come. And uh, he wrote, he actually originally wrote it as a manga before adapting it into a feature film, but he would continue writing the manga long after the, the film came out. And the manga would go on to be encompass seven volumes. Um, and I had the first volume for this a long time, for a long time, I had gotten it with a, um, a special uh, Blu-ray edition of Nausicaa of the, of the Valley of the Wind I got and I kind of I'd read the first the volume and I was it was really good and intriguing but I never picked up on the rest of the series and decided to just um, finish it up and um, what's really interesting is that the events of the movie are covered in the first volume and a half so by the end of the second volume you're in totally new territory and um, it goes on for yeah five more volumes and it's so interesting to see like where he takes the story, um, which in the manga is just so much more angry and grim and uh, cynical than the movie ends up being. Basically, it comes, uh, uh, Nausicaa of the Valley Wind, I'll give you guys a short summation, is that it, it's set in a post-apocalyptic world that has been overrun by toxic jungles, uh, which are inhabited by these giant um, insects that uh, are enraged and will kill um 
any humans that come into contact with it. And Nausicaa is the uh, princess of this small um, valley civilization they, that um, live right next to the toxic jungle and have been able to maintain this sort of idyllic little co- like cove um, right next to the toxic wasteland. And uh, she is able to, she kind of has like this really overwhelming empathy for her within her she has she has empathy for both the humans who are who have been at war for hundreds of years and for the insects too which she believe have their own sort of right to the earth as much as the humans and she ends up being dragged into this war between the various uh, surviving civilizations um, that uh, involve the um, the insects of the forest as well and um, the Miyazaki's original film uh, kind of has the the roots of what his manga grows into. There is also very cynical and basically comes to, and kind of has the roots of like what his manga concludes is is that the earth would be much better off and much more peaceful if humanity were just gone. So it's a very it's a very bleak manga. It's just kind of very um very destructive and almost nihilistic. Whereas the movie comes to this messianic type of conclusion which actually was criticized by a lot of people um at the uh, when the first film was first was first released uh because the the setup for the film was just so angry and so much about like how humans are really like the the um the poison of the world and what's killing the world uh it kind of wraps up a little bit neatly in the film but uh, I, I still really like the film. I still love It's just so amazing. Um, and one of the sequences in the film uh, was animated by uh, the, the future creator of Neon Genesis Evangelion, Hideko Anno, who is a protege of Miyazaki. And his sequence in the film is one of the most striking sequences in animation I've ever seen. It's actually something, excuse me, something that doesn't make it into the manga. Um, but yeah, reading the manga is just so interesting because it's just so much more angry and cynical and it feels like it's Miyazaki working out a lot of his own, um, I don't want to say issues, but kind of his own anger <laughs> and resentment against what human, humanity has done to the world and to the environment and um, how, uh, and his own sort of... Um, upbringing too during like post-world war ii japan so it's just it's it's so interesting there's a lot of i feel like parallels almost to lord of the rings um in some of the imagery but also in how miyazaki works through those like post-world war ii feelings and his own upbringing um and and in how J.R. token works through his trauma and ptsd being a soldier in um in the war and into lord of the rings so it's just um it's fascinating stuff and i i'm really enjoying the manga it is much more angry than i've ever seen miyazaki be and uh i i think it's fantastic um and uh i recommend it all seven volumes (laughs) seven volumes wow Mm -hmm. that's a lot of manga to read (laughs) um i guess you have the time now so, uh, okay, let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh, I haven't been watching much this week. I, as I mentioned, I was watching a lot of the news, which I, I think I need to step away from. Um, and I have been like at night, uh, I've been watching Suits, which is a show on USA Network, which, by the way, I know gets a lot of uh, crap. USA Network used to be the home of like some really low budget sci fi programming, like. Um, Weird Science was a show on 
<laughs> USA Network or like Silk Stockings or uh, I don't know. USA Network was not known for their programming back in the day. Uh, I guess they had some good stuff like the 4400, um, but still low budget. Um, and then I think Suits came around and kind of changed this and also brought up out of change like Mr. Robot came up a- after that. Um, Suits was a show that I was watching um, and I watched like I, I think the first couple of uh, first few seasons and I didn't follow through with it. I think it's gone on now almost a decade. It ended in 2019, started in 2011, went, went on till 2019. And uh, I wanted, I don't know, I just wanted something simple to watch to kind of get away uh to turn off my brain at night and just uh and Kitra had never seen it and I had never finished it so I wanted to kind of follow up on it and uh I know you guys have never seen the show it's uh about this this brilliant college dropout named Mike Ross and he's played by uh Patrick J Adams and he's on the run from a drug deal gone bad and somehow finds himself offered a job to work for one of the New York City's best lawyers. I know that sounds like a ridiculous concept that this criminal basically uh, somehow weasels his way into uh, faking a law degree and becoming a lawyer. Uh, but that that is the premise here. It, it, it sounds like a bad premise. I, I will say that r- right off the bat. But like the show is actually pretty good. It's one of those shows where, where each episode is kind of about a different case which i generally do not like i like serialized programming but this as the show picks up it becomes more and more serialized as it goes on the cast of it is just so great um rick hoffman is a great comic relief character you've seen him in a bunch of movies uh gina torres uh megan markle who uh kitra keeps on saying is married to uh prince prince who? Harry. Prince, one of the princes. Harry. Prince Harry. Albert's in a can. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, Peter. Yeah. I had no idea. I don't know. I, Wait, I, really? I had, you didn't. Yeah. You did not know that. I don't follow royal it's a, weddings. It's a pretty big deal, Peter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I I just had no idea. Anyways, I I'm enjoying suits. It's it's it's. But I'm going to stick up for it. I will say this. Like, I, I I was like, you know, am I just like, is it me? Like, am I like, is this like a guilty pleasure or is this like something that's actually good? And uh, I looked up on uh, on Rotten Tomatoes just to, just to see if I was wrong just now because I was like starting to doubt myself. 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. So this is a good show. I, I I will verify it with a tomato meter rating there that it's a good show. Uh, it, it, and it can be found, uh, I think we're watching it on Amazon Prime. So I've been watching that and I, Brad, I'm sorry I didn't heed your warning from last week and I gave Space Force a chance on Netflix. This is the new sitcom uh, that is, it's bad. It, it, it's just um, I don't know what Steve Carell is doing with his voice in this. I I know I'm a comedy curmudgeon as it is. So like it, if Brad doesn't like it, there's a chance there's almost no chance that I would like it. But I was kind of intrigued by the big budget and it taking on kind of like what it takes on with the, you know, the Space Force and stuff like that. And it, it's I don't know I, I it is interesting to see a sitcom with that kind of big of uh, playing with that kind of big money, but 
I don't know. It's bad. It's just bad. Brad, what is he doing with his voice? It seems like he's trying to do this thing that makes him sound a little bit more like a masculine military type. And I think just to help differentiate him from his usual <laughs> voice style, but it, it, it just doesn't work. It feels like he's trying too hard to do it. And it, it makes everything feel just really weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, what have you been watching this week? Uh, a wide variety of things. Uh, I did watch The Lovebirds, the new Netflix movie starring Issa Rae and Camila Anjiani. Uh, as was noted on this podcast a few weeks ago, it's not particularly good. It's okay. It's fine. Uh, but those two leads are, are dynamite. They're so good together. You make you, it makes you wish they were in a much better movie. Uh, so I can recommend it as like good, it's a good laundry folding movie because those two are so charming. Uh, you just wish that, um, pretty much any other screenplay had <laughs> united them. Uh, but that's like I said, if I paid money for it in theaters, maybe I'd be more hostile toward it. But as a Netflix background movie, Lovebirds is totally adequate and fine. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Disney Plus, our trio of movies we watched back to back while trying to do that damn puzzle. Uh, we watched Avengers Age of Ultron, Iron Man 3, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, is still pr- is still really well liked, but I think uh, Age of Ultron, Iron Man three, uh, still get a raw deal. I think they're two of the more interesting uh, Marvel movies out there. Iron Man three, of course, is the Shane Black one, uh, where it rewrites the Mandarin, the, the you know stereotypical racist villain from the comics, as into a workshopped you know corporate America version of a terrorist, which is a super interesting take uh, that manages to sidestep the problematic elements of the character and provides really interesting commentary on what America fears. Uh, Age of Ultron, uh, I think it's really good. Maybe not as even as some of our favorite Marvel movies, but uh, Josh Whedon is really swinging for the fences with it, and the dialogue is sparkling. As much as I love Endgame, uh, it's missing the spark, the way people talk in in, uh, Wedden's Avengers movies. Like the, The scene where they're at the party trying to lift Thor's hammer, the scene where Hawkeye is giving a pep talk uh, to Quicksilver uh, in the final battle. Oh, sorry, to Scarlet Witch in the final battle. It's just all these really wonderful character beats and the quippy dialogue that I think uh, gets lost in a lot of the more plot-heavy Marvel movies. And also, Age of Ultron is really interested in digging into the psyche of all the characters uh, as opposed to moving them around like, like pieces on a chessboard. It's, such a, it's just a satisfying, weird thing. I think it's better out. But all three of those are streaming on... Uh, Disney Plus right now. Uh, I, I do wonder, like, out of all the Marvel movies, do you think there's a better cut there somewhere? Like, it feels like there must be. I know that when he was doing press for uh, Josh, Josh Whedon was pretty open about having a miserable time in the set, and uh, I think it's it was said without being said that there was a lot of the Ike Perlmutter uh, influence. That was when uh, Kevin Feige and Ike Perlmutter were really clashing hard, yeah. and I wonder if that's to do with it. I also know that he was very unhappy about having to set up future things like the entire subplot with Thor in a cave, having visions of future films that don't really pay off. He was unhappy with that. Uh, so I do think that there's a, a rewrite or a re-edit there where that's gone. But I think most of the things in it work. I, I, I wish the Thor stuff was completely different, but yeah, I, I think that in an alternate universe where maybe Marvel was a more, more creator friendly environment. It is today where, Ryan Coogler, Taika Waititi, are, and James Gunn are allowed to, you know, uh, be a little more, a little more wild. I'm very curious to see what Josh Whedon uh, would do in that environment, considering the stuff in this movie that I really do love. I love a lot of it. Yeah, no, I, I was on the set of uh, Age of Ultron, and I remember interviewing 
Josh Whedon in, I think it was the trailer, like the where you eat. And he looked like he had not slept in a week. And he like would talk and then like stare, like zone out, then come back. And then like, he was just like frantic. I don't know. It was, you could see that it had mentally taken a toll on him. Uh, yeah. I remember that. Um, here's a quick side thing. I remember the most tired interview I ever did was Gareth Edwards for Rogue One, like a couple <laughs> shortly before it came out. I've never seen a man more on the verge of collapse. So Gareth Edwards, Josh Whedon, does anybody else have any stories of filmmakers uh, who clearly needed a nap? <laughs> uh, uh, doesn't sound right. Like okay. So. All right. Uh, otherwise, it's been a lot of comfort food this week. Uh, Back to the Future is on Netflix. Uh, it's still really good. <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need to talk about Back to the Future again on this show. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is such a spectacular movie. And this time around, I just couldn't help focus uh, on the score. I think that in many ways, Back to the Future is a really, really good 80s sci-fi comedy made into a masterpiece by its score, which lends a gravity and excitement to events that may not earn them if the score wasn't there. Uh, so I think that if you take away that score, is Back to the Future as good? I still think it's a really good movie with that score. I think the score makes it into one of the best movies of all time. Uh, Peter, do you agree? I do agree, but I feel like that's an un- like that's an unfair uh, direction. I-, I know what you're trying to say, but that's like saying like, "Oh, is Jaws as good of a movie without a score?" Of course, it's not. Like, if you don't have that, if, if Indiana is Indiana Jones as good of a movie without a score, no, of course, like. Uh, the score is amazing. I think it's one of Elvin Silvestri's best. I was lucky enough to see him conduct it live at uh, the Hollywood um, Bowl, uh, live to the the first film. And it, I don't know that that score that soundtrack is good. It's so good that like I feel like he kind of reuses the same. He's one of those uh, composers that you can kind of hear uh him reusing the same notes in his subsequent scores i feel like this is his masterpiece yeah I, I, I'll, I'll clarify this um i think like jaws this is a movie that is improved much by its score like there are other great movies that like, you can change the score out and i don't think you change anything at all but i think this is one of those movies where the score feels so at one with it maybe yeah. that's a more fair way of putting it back to the future all three of them are streaming on on netflix I have mixed feelings on two and three. Uh, I think one is such a perfect thing that there, there are, I don't necessarily need the sequels, but they, 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 I like them just fine. Uh, I also watched Die Hard streaming on uh, HBO uh, Max slash whatever other HBO <laughs> ones are out there. And just because of the puzzle, of course. And Die Hard is so good and so perfect, it makes me angry. Like, I'll watch it and get mad that Bruce Willis was rarely this good again, that John McTiernan was never this good again, that people who wrote it never wrote screenways is good again uh, i get i get actively angry saying why didn't anyone here make anything as good again why are you so perfect how did this happen how did die hard happen and i know there's been countless interviews and documentaries and, and special features explaining that question i still don't know how it happened i think die hard is as close to perfect as this kind of movie gets uh and I really, really wish that more movies were like Die Hard. But then again, if we were more movies like Die Hard, maybe it wouldn't be as special. That's streaming on HBO Max. Uh, two movies that I watched sort of over and over again the past two weeks. Uh, the Shawshank Redemption on AMC and The Martian on FX. They've both been playing with commercials on those two networks. And we'll have a TV on channel surfing. And we'll be halfway through Shawshank or a third of the way to The Martian. And we'll start watching it. And we'll watch the whole thing, even though unintentionally. Or... 
I'll turn it on and it's the end of the Martian. We'll watch the end of the Martian. Or turn on Shawshank is just starting. We'll watch Shawshank. And for whatever damn reason, we end up watching <laughs> the Martian and Shawshank Redemption four or five times in bits and pieces scattered about because both movies are so intensely watchable and uh, so weirdly comforting, even though they're both about stressful situations where people (laughs) trapped in stressful places, but both of them end up being uh, such warm, uplifting things. And and that's been said about Shawshank. I'm one of those people who discovered on TBS back in the day uh, after, you know, it's box office bomb and didn't win any Oscars, but I watch it so often on TBS that whenever I watch it now, my, my mind still fills in the commercial breaks where TBS used to have them. Uh, so that when AMC has commercial break in the wrong, in the quote unquote wrong place, I'm like, Hey, that's the wrong commercial break. Uh, but Shawshank is, it's, it's such a great movie. And and I don't, since it's, it's so famously good now. And so why do I like, I think it's a, not necessarily a bad rap, but maybe it's on the verge of being underrated. Now people have taken it for granted. Uh, meanwhile, the Martian, man, this was, this was the year of Mad Max Fury Road, a film I love. Uh, but it's also the year of the Revenant, a film I despise. Yeah, uh, so looking, so I'm looking at like the other 2015 films. I'm thinking Matt Damon is better than DiCaprio in every possible way in The Martian. And if there wasn't this whole, you know, give DiCaprio his Oscar finally movement, I think this could have been the year Matt Damon won an Oscar because he's profoundly good here, uh, and quietly, like quietly great and really funny and charming and smart and. The way he's able to bounce between tones is straight up remarkable. I think we, another guy we take, we, we started taking him for granted. Once Matt, Matt Damon started doing all the action hero stuff with the Bourne movies, I think we started like saying, "Oh yeah, he's reliably good," as opposed to saying, "Oh wow, he's great," and he is great in The Martian. And this is a movie that I uh, could watch over and over again. Uh, it is every scene is perfect. Every actor is just magnetic. And like I said, if it wasn't for <laughs> Mad Max, it's, it's etching up is my, my favorite studio film of 2015, looking back on it, uh, which is my way of saying, fuck The Revenant. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll take every opportunity to say that. Uh, and finally, uh, The Wretched. This movie made headlines because it's, it's a IFC horror film doing extremely well in limited release box office uh, at drive-ins. But it's also available on VOD and rental. I rented on Amazon for $5.99. It is a a uh, witch movie, an evil witch in the woods movie. And it is uh, mostly very good. I think the first half is strong in the second half when they sort of hide the monster in the shadows. It, uh, it's far scarier than when you see more of it in the end. Uh, but there's some good twists here. It's well-structured. The acting is good. I like how the main character is a troubled teenager who does not check the normal troubled teenager boxes. There's some unique stuff there. Uh, Chris, I know you were going to check this out. Did you get around to this one yet? No, I have not. I'm waiting for it to be like actually streaming somewhere because I don't want to. I don't like spending money. I'm cheap, so whenever, <laughs> whenever it's actually streaming somewhere, I will definitely watch it. Oh, oh the Wretched is available for you know five ninety nine on the usual services, and I give it a recommendation. Uh, not a glowing one, but it is a totally entertaining one of those. Okay, uh, I I feel I will say this about the Martian, Jacob. I, I do feel like the performance is incredible. The filmmaking is incredible. But I guess for me, the problem is in the script of like all the problems that he faces. I don't ever feel that like we're in on the solution. Hmm. Do you know what I, I mean? I get that. But also, I feel like he's so much smarter than us that uh, that trying to trying to pause to explain math and science would kill momentum. 
but yeah i will say in the books they explain everything um because it is <laughs> it, well in the book not books um it's written by a former i think nasa scientist so he gets real technical with the explanation but he does it in a way that's still really tongue-in-cheek and fun so um if you want to get to know like the ins and outs of how he <laughs> solves things it's in the book well i don't even want to know how he solves things i I, I guess I wished I, I guess this is like one of those complaints of like, I wish it was a different movie. Mm-hmm. I, I wish that at points we were in hit. We felt like we were in his shoes and we came up with the solution alongside him. But I guess we're not as smart as him. So it's not possible. Yeah. If, if, movie, if a movie yeah, made yeah, me feel like a NASA astronaut, that would, that would be a remarkable movie indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like there's ways of doing that where you can set up the data early and come to the, do you know what I mean? That like puts you in the shoot. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Chris, what have you been watching? Uh, I've been watching much. Uh, I've watched uh, something for next week that I can't talk about, but I did also watch, Domestic Disturbance, which is this very <laughs> early 2000s thriller with, with John Travolta and Vince Vaughn and Steve Buscemi. Um, I remember seeing trailers for this when it came out. I just never got around to seeing it. And uh, I try, you know, I, I do, um, I have an elliptical machine and I do cardio every day. And so when I do that, I try to watch disposable stuff, stuff I don't have to really pay too much attention to. So this is streaming on Amazon Prime, so I, I checked it out, and boy, is it dumb! But it's 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 a watchable sort of dumb. Uh, John Travolta plays this guy who who's recently divorced, and his wife is getting remarried, and she's remarrying Vince Vaughn, and uh, John Travolta's son is suspicious of Vince Vaughn, and for good reason because he's uh, a murderer, and he he the kid witnesses Vince Vaughn killing someone and of course no one believes the kid except john travolta it's very stupid and it's very uh, i was reading up on it and apparently like it was shot to be r-rated and then they 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 chopped it up to make it pg-13 and, and it really shows because scenes just end without like any like wrap up and there's tons of moments where characters are clearly cursing but there's ADR and their lips don't match what they're saying because they, they dubbed it over to trim down the cursing. But it's exactly the sort of movie that's perfect to watch when you're on an elliptical machine. So Domestic Disturbance, <laughs> now streaming on Amazon Prime. I also think I remember that Vince Vaughn and Steve Buscemi and maybe like the director or screenwriter were involved in like this barroom brawl yes, during the it, filming. Yeah, I think they were shooting in either North or South Carolina and – there was a yeah, there was a barroom brawl and Steve Buscemi tried to break it up and he ended, ended up getting like slashed in the face or something like that. So <laughs> that's a more memorable story than the movie itself. But yes, there was a really good uh, I think it's GQ profile on Steve Buscemi recently because he's been sort of uh, quiet for the past few years. Uh, and he actually recounts that as being as being one of three times he almost died. A two car accidents as a kid, then the barroom fight. He recounts this the three times where he thought he was going to die. So look for that article online. It's very good. Yeah. The, the other bit of trivia that I know about this film is I remember when I saw it thinking that the score sounded a lot like Basic Instinct. And uh, that is because the, the the filmmakers actually used the Basic Instinct to temp score the film. So the composer that actually ended up composing, I don't know his name, uh, it, feel, it feels very similar. It feel, like you can kind of feel the temp. That happens a lot in films. But uh, here it happened quite uh noticeably for me 
So anyways, uh, Fred, what have you been watching? So uh, I talked about creating uh, that backyard movie theater. And uh, one of the movies that we watched for that was Twister because we wanted to find something that was just a great, fun summer movie, kind of fits the outdoor vibe. And watching Twister is just always fun. I was obsessed with this movie when I was in elementary school. Um, Me and a few friends totally got into like researching storm chasing and tornadoes and all this stuff. Um, And yeah, so I've, I've always loved this movie. I've seen it so many times. And it's a great movie to watch if you set up your own outdoor theater and you have a good sound system. Um, it's, it's definitely silly, uh, and, (laughs) you know, trying to make the weather exciting leading up to a tornado, uh, it it isn't easy, (laughs) but they do a good job of making it thoroughly entertaining. The ensemble cast definitely helps immensely. Uh, I, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in this movie and, uh, it made me, you know, miss Bill Paxton all over again, but yeah, Twister, it's, it's a fun movie for the summer. Yeah. And it's fitting that you watch that outdoors because isn't there like a whole scene with a drive-in there movie is. theater? And we, we actually talked about uh, possibly doing a double feature of Twister and The Shining, but by the time Twister was over, it was pretty chilly out, so we didn't want to stay outside for that long afterwards. Um, and then cool. I also watched um, Rockstar on HBO Max, and uh, let me be clear, this this is a dumb, silly movie, but I have a lot of fun watching this movie. Um, it stars Mark Wahlberg, as this guy who's a copy machine repairman and he leads a cover band called um for uh, based on this metal band called steel dragon and the band uh loses their lead singer and since mark Wahlberg's character is this really you know great dedicated you know recreator of all steel dragon songs uh they seek him out to come audition to replace their lead singer and he becomes the new lead singer of steel dragon it's the the ultimate rock star daydream fantasy and just just so silly all the cliches of sex drugs and rock and roll and fame it's um i wrote about it for the quarantine stream and it really is like the dumb 1980s rock cousin of boogie nights because it has a very similar character arc but none of the actual significance or meaning whatsoever (laughs) but i love the soundtrack for this movie it has great 1980s rock um songs and the original songs that they wrote for Steel Dragon are actually really good. They're 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 definitely kind of like on the cheesy '80s metal rock side of things, but they're very catchy. And the um, I wish I remembered who the person was that they had do the singing voice from Mark Wahlberg. Uh, but it's he had, they had, has a great voice, and Wahlberg does a really good job lip syncing to it since he can't sing at all. <laughs> I remember loving this film when it came out. Uh, but I'm afraid to revisit it. Although it sounds like you say it, it still kind of holds up uh, yeah, in its I, own kind yeah, of cheesy like, way. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I would never like recommend somebody and say, man, this is such a good movie. But it is a really – it's, it's <laughs> really like kind of just like a mindless fun movie to watch. Okay. And that's Rockstar. Where, where did you see uh, that? It's, or it's where, where is that available? Okay. What else uh, And then we watched uh, the first episode of um, the – most recent iteration of celebrity family feud abc has like a lot of summer game show stuff going on right now um like they brought back press your luck for a new season and stuff and i hadn't watched any of celebrity family feud ever since steve harvey took over the show a while back um and the first uh teams were the original version or the original cast of queer eye for the straight guy and the new generation of queer eye that's on netflix uh, and it's it's really fun, you know. I Family Feud has always has always been kind of a fun game show, and uh, 
some some of the answers that they get for these questions are so weird, or at least the way that they phrase them uh, and to put them up on the board. And I also feel like there's something weird going on with some of the surveys too, because one of the questions was uh, name um, a, a talk show host who can always make you laugh. And the number one choice was Steve Harvey. Now he hosts the family feud. Okay. So sure. I'm, I'll bet they did that just for fun, but I don't understand how they, they determined that or what way they did this so that he came out on top. And it, it just made no sense to me. I was just, so I, it made me want to question exactly where these answers come from, how much they manipulate them. Because I just I, I refuse to believe that Steve Harvey would be number one in an actual survey like that. Um, by the way, the the singer who did uh, Mark Wahlberg's singing performance in that movie is the lead vocalist and songwriter of the rock band Steelheart. Oh, fair enough. Whose name is Miljenko Matjevic, yep. I think. Sounds like a rock star's it. name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Let's move on to Ben. Ben, what have you been watching? Real quick, though, the real the weird thing about Rockstar is that I don't know if you guys know this, but Steve Perry was the uh, lead singer of Journey, and then I think he had some sort of throat issues or something and had to step away from the band. And like that exact same story of they found a guy who was in a cover band and called him up to the big leagues and had him be the real lead singer of the actual band actually happened. So there's, I think there's a documentary on that. It might that, be on Netflix right now. So if you're interested in, in that real story, that's actually not that the too. only instance either. Cause uh, the movie itself was actually based on uh, Tim Ripper Owens, who uh, was a singer in a Judas priest tribute band. And he was chosen to replace uh, Rob Halford when he left Judas priest. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Interesting. Uh, I, I had no idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> ben, what have you been watching? Okay. So um, I uh, also got HBO Max and uh, my wife is a big fan of uh, Tolkien and, and Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. So she had never seen the animated 1977 version of The Hobbit that was by uh, Rankin and Bass, the studio that is probably best known for making movies like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and... and uh, uh, what's the other one? Frosty the Snowman. They're they're sort of like uh, you know holiday staples, um, and they tend to do like stop motion stuff, but they also do some animation as well. And this movie is a, a fully animated version of The Hobbit. It is I think only you know like seventy eight minutes long. Um, you know it, it's the story of The Hobbit, so it's there's not really much to comment on. Um, the animation is like a little weird looking, but. Uh, it's it's kind of an interesting movie. I think if this were your first interaction with the story of The Hobbit, I can't imagine how you would feel watching it, especially because the the scene where Bilbo um, meets Gollum for the first time in the cave and they have like this sort of riddle off and uh, Bilbo takes the ring and all of that stuff that you're probably familiar with from uh, Lord of the Rings or the, the Hobbit movies or the books, if you've read them, um, it's so weird. And and Gollum in this movie looks so scary. And this movie is clearly meant for younger kids. And it is just, uh, man, I feel like if I saw this when I was really, really young, it probably would have given me nightmares. So um, it's a weird thing. Also super weird, uh, John Huston and Otto Preminger, both of which are, are you know, huge directors of film noir movies and you know tons of stuff from like the 40s 50s 60s like major major international uh, acclaimed film directors do some voices in this movie for some reason i don't know why i mean john houston uh i, I think he was in 
a bunch of stuff. He was he was an actor, but Otto Preminger, I, I I don't think that he was primarily known as an actor. So he voices the Elven King, and I just thought it was really strange seeing his name pop up in the credits as uh, the voice of one of these characters when I just watched his movie Anatomy of, of a Murder not too long ago. And I was like, wait a second, is this the same Otto Preminger? What the hell is going on here? So I don't know why. Maybe like the Hobbit wasn't cool enough uh, back then that like you know it was it was. Uh, I don't know, nerd culture was not what it was. So only people like Led Zeppelin and and uh, acclaimed directors were actually giving a shit about what Tolkien was doing. I don't know. Um, so I, I can't begin to speculate. I have this DVD. You have this? I was one of I was the kids who if... watched this as a kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so were you were you traumatized by no. the uh, the Gollum scene? Oh, no, I loved it. I don't mean... Oh, wow. I, 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 the Hobbit was my favorite of the books, um, of Jared Hogan's books. I read both the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and love the Hobbit far more. And I feel like this, I remember, remember, I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but I remember thinking that this movie was a perfect adaptation. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I feel like maybe I was scared by the Gollum scene, but I just love this movie so much because of how well it adapted the book. Um, I do remember, um, I also had the animated, uh, Ralph Bakshi, uh, Lord of the Rings movie too, which looked really gorgeous as well. I think that was rotoscoped. This one wasn't, um, but The Hobbit, <laughs> I guess it, yeah. to, to people now, I guess it was scary, but to me, I was just like, wow, this is The Hobbit. I love it. <laughs> so I, I, I watched it as a kid and I, I really enjoyed it. And it, it doesn't surprise me, HD, that you love this film because I'm not sure if you know this, but this was animated by this company named Topcraft, mm -hmm. which was this uh, now defunct Japanese animation studio. Uh, the, the animation team there basically reformed as Studio Ghibli. Right. I think I remember that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, I guess I've always uh, I've also been watching um, that thing you do, which is also on HBO Max. Uh, I believe I think that's where I watched that. I'll have to double check that. I'll get back to you. Um, but uh, yeah, this is the movie that was written and directed by Tom Hanks. It's his directorial debut. Uh, the Adam Schlesinger, I think, is his name. Uh, was the guy who wrote the song. He died of coronavirus not too long ago, and um, I don't think my wife had ever seen this all the way through either. So um, I had not seen it in years and years. And uh, you know, there was all this like there was watch parties, and um, this movie was was definitely like back in the news a few weeks ago. So it, it sort of had been lingering in my brain, and I wanted to watch it and see if it was as good as I remembered. And it is. It's a lot of fun. It's it's really like a, a poppy little movie. Um, I, my memory of it was. It's it's poppy for the first half, actually kind of like Rockstar, where it's poppy for the first half and the back half uh, doesn't is not as fun because it's sort of like the reality of the situation starts to crash in and like the uh, a little bit of the fun is the fun bubble is burst a little bit. Um, I, I don't really know if that's a fair characterization of that thing you do. I think it might be, but it's not uh, to the degree that I thought, you know, in, in my memory. So um, it's, I, I really enjoyed watching this. I think it's, it's perfectly cast. Uh, it's really fun to see all the, the people who are now, you know, major names uh, pop up in very, very small roles like Charlie's their own. And, and uh, Brian Cranston is in this as a, an astronaut for just like a blanket and you miss it kind of role. Uh, Clint Howard is in it. He shows up for a minute. Um, Giovanni Ribisi is in there too, that I, I totally forgot he was in this. So uh, Colin Hanks makes a, a brief appearance. Paul, uh, Paul Feig shows up as a disc jockey at one point. So uh, it's almost fun as like a, just a spot that cameo kind of movie. So 
um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to get back to you on where exactly I watched that, but uh, that is that thing you do. And um, I mentioned last week that I started Devs. Uh, I finished that show, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. It it's tough to talk about the ending without getting into spoilers, which I will not do here. But um, I, I don't know if I was fully satisfied by it. I I appreciated the swings in storytelling they they were taking, but I I think. I was hoping for a little bit different outcome than what we got. Um, I guess I'll just have to leave it at that. But uh, I would encourage you guys to go back and listen to Peter and Chris's conversation on this show about the ending if you've not done that yet. And I think the Slash Filmcast also uh, spoke about it. And and I think those conversations uh, encompass a lot of my thoughts on, on the show as well. Yeah. Uh, do you agree that at least in my opinion, like the ideas it delves into are like so fascinating and so great. And the execution of like the cinematography and the iconography of like the stuff is, is great, but I feel like the story kind of falls apart. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I think that's kind of where I am, but almost like those things that you mentioned that do work, work so well. And like the score and everything, it reminded me a little bit of, uh, of Twin Peaks actually, or, or Twin Peaks, the return. It's, you know, this sort of creepy presentation of, uh, of like creeping dread and God, that score is just so haunting. Um, and, and I know you guys talked about that yeah. on your, on your discussion episode, but, um, yeah, I think, I think ultimately I would recommend this show just because of the, uh, yeah, like the swings it takes, the ideas it presents, even if I, I, I'm not fully convinced that, um, that it landed in the exactly the place that I wanted it to land. But yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, that thing you do is on HBO max. Okay, good. That's what I thought. I just wanted to be sure about that. So yeah, hopefully people can check that out. If you've not seen it in a long time, it's definitely worth a rewatch. Uh, and speaking of rewatching things, I started rewatching lost. Um, this is a show. I, I mean, I've seen it through all the way through, I don't know, three or four times at this point, but uh, it's just one of those where every few years I get the itch where I, I just want to go back. I, I <laughs> we have to go back. I love it so much. Um, and, and I, you know, I defend the finale vigorously. I know HT is, yeah. is right there with me on that front. Um, so I, I'm just excited all over again. And I, I especially think that first season is pretty unimpeachable TV, like, you, you know, across the board, what they did there in terms of, uh, putting that show together, casting wise, all that stuff and, and doing it in such a compressed time frame, and, um, Man, just being able to pull off such a, a phenomenal, um, uh, explosive start to what would become, you know, this this monumental piece of TV history is uh, super super impressive. Every time I watch it, so I'm only I think four episodes into the the whole series uh, right now, but um, man, I, I can't wait to <laughs> to get into the meat of it. So, uh, Lost is streaming on Hulu right now. If you want to join me on that, it is Lost the best pilot of all time? Yeah, man. Um, I, I think so. I mean, I, I think I, I, I guess I would really have to think about it to give you like a, a true answer. But having just rewatched it like that two part, uh, two hour pilot is so yeah. freaking impressive. And um, it, it does every single thing that the show does really, really well, um, like perfectly <laughs> in terms of uh, having uh, Peter, you're talking earlier about like action and character and like those yeah. two things. Um sort of being intertwined and and the pilot especially tells you so much about these characters and their reactions as the as you you know sort of discover that there was a plane crash on the beach and what these characters are doing um and and you know having seen the show a bunch of times and and 
it just enhances all of that. Like, you know, being able to watch it and be like, oh, wow, this is what Shannon was doing the first time we saw her. This is how Saeed was acting the first time we saw him, like, you know, and, and how being able to measure those, resp- those initial responses to this chaotic, traumatic situation to the characters that we know that they are and we know that they will become is such a, a fun thing for me just because I love these characters so, so much. Um, but yeah, Peter, I think, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm hard pressed to think yeah. of another pilot that represents its characters as well and is just a thrilling action heavy, you know, mysterious, uh, like Spielbergian uh, piece of filmmaking. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's <laughs> the long answer, but, uh, yeah, by the way, I'm, answers, yes. I'm looking at some lists online and it seems like the only one that seems to be overtaking it and some lists is breaking bad. Breaking bad. Yeah. That would yeah. be the other one. But I think because lost is a two hour pilot and, and is so much more ambitious than what breaking bad is. Cause I just finished a, a big rewatch of breaking bad as well. I think breaking bad is, is maybe a tighter pilot, but um, in terms of like thrills and everything that I love in television, I think lost has it. So maybe it's yeah. just, it comes down to that for everybody that, you know, that sort of personal choice, but Man, what a hell of a great start to a show. By the way, I'm not sure how many of you guys have seen this, but I would also say Alias, also from J.J. Abrams, is one of the best pilots of all time. Did you finish watching that show, Peter? Like, uh, I did, and it, it kind of goes off. It, 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 I was it's super into it for years and years. Like maybe the, I don't know, I don't remember how many seasons it ran, probably four or five at least, right? Um, but I, I watched like the first three seasons just completely wrapped, and I, I loved everything I was seeing, I was fully invested. And it's one of those shows, like I did this with justified as well. It just took such a a sharp drop that I just never finished the final season. Yeah. It also seems like that it it did run five seasons, by the way, it seemed like they were building this up to be about this Rimbaldi device, which Mm -hmm. seemed clearly like it was something to do with time travel. And I feel like the network, didn't want to go there whatever it aired on where, where did alias air I think that was ABC? on abc as well yeah yeah so i guess they weren't ready for, for it <laughs> and it felt like they took a big swerve in quality when they decided to i don't know i don't know they're, they're yeah i i agree i definitely agree but it, well one thing we can say for sure jj abrams is good at as at openings yeah right? <laughs> definitely <laughs> okay hc what have you been watching I have been watching um, Bad Education. So I think it was it was a Ben last week who talked about seeing it. Um, someone on this yes. podcast talked about seeing it last week. Yeah, Ben, thank you. Yeah, it was um, So I've been wanting to check it out and um, for a while just because I'd heard so many good things. And it's great. Um, it's on HBO Go slash HBO Max. And uh, it's directed by Corey Finley. Hugh Jackman is excellent in it he's the perfect amount of just like skeezy and sympathetic and he really walks that line um in um just a really delicate way that i just i really enjoy to watch and um uh allison janney is just so excellent in, in it as well i just love watching her too in general she's such, such a great character actress who just disappears into every role and she's just so um twangy and southern and this and i or not southern sorry new york twangy and new yorker in this and i i really love to see her doing that and um immersing herself in that role and um i yeah it's a it's a good movie it's a really it's another one that like um just gets you both on the side of the people who are being um who are basically the uh the antagonists of the story and it's it's 
I really liked seeing both the um, expose part as well as the the where where like their downfall comes in terms of like where their initial first um, good intentions began and then how that kind of crumbled into corruption and fraud and uh it was a uh, it's really good to watch and a really just um compelling a uh, well-made film well performed especially so that's bad education on hbo max slash go go for me because i don't have max yet um and i also watched for the first time maholland drive so david lynch has actually kind of been a blind spot for me that I have always been wanting to remedy. I have seen Twin Peaks uh, and really enjoyed Twin Peaks up until the revelation of who um, the killer is. And then it kind of goes off the rails and I stopped watching it. Um, But I enjoyed Twin Peaks. Uh, The only other Stephen Lynch movie I'd seen was Dune. Um, But from what I'd heard of him and what I knew of him, I feel like David Lynch is the kind of director that I would really, really love. And Mulholland Drive kind of solidified that for me I really enjoyed this dreamlike noirish melodrama um that uh was released in 2001 and uh I um it stars Naomi Watts as this uh wide-eyed bushy-tailed actress who arrives in Hollywood um excited to start her career and um comes to stay at her aunt's apartment where she discovers an amnesiac woman um played by laura elena herring and um their sort of identities start to to meld and uh reality starts to get blurred and all that fun stuff it's a lot of dream logic which i really enjoy and i just loved how uh, david lynch plays with the artifice of the hollywood dream and our expectations of this kind of hollywood dream type story um i it's it's funny to me because like Watching Twin Peaks and seeing how he played with the structure of soap opera there and knowing that Mulholland Drive uh, was intended as a TV pilot before he turned it into a feature film. Um, it's so interesting to see sort of the um, the uh, rough edges kind of that was sewn into a greater thesis of a film or something that uh, became some uh, a greater film and uh, how that those soap opera structures um, – Coins uh, intertwine with the noir elements, um, and it, I guess for me, like it made me. Um, this movie really made me realize the thin line there was between noir and soap opera. I guess it never really occurred to me how side by side those two genres are. I never really kind of considered them to be related in any way, and I really enjoyed seeing that connection that he built. I guess it makes kind of sense that neo- that noir and melodrama, uh, which is the basis for for soap opera um, would be related because um, who's that film with Joan Crawford? Uh, Mildred Pierce uh, is a noir and melodrama that I really adore. And I feel like Mulholland Drive kind of plays upon those genre expectations. I don't know. I really like, I really like this film. I really like the, how it defies any type of um, understanding. And I love the hard left turn that the last half hour takes. It's um, such a weird, a uh, dreamy, surreal film, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm excited to dive more into David Lynch. I would recommend actually going back and rewatching the rest, or not rewatching, but watching for the first time the rest of Twin Peaks, because there are actually moments where I don't remember if Lynch was directing all of the episodes at that point. I, I don't think he was actually, but uh, he was still, I think, involved in the show. And and uh, they they make 
direct explicit reference to soap operas and noir and all that there there's like a soap opera within the world of twin peaks and it it comes on screen multiple times and i think that was sort of like um a almost like a pilot for those ideas that you're talking about that he explores in Mulholland Drive. So mm. uh, if you're more interested in that, I, I would recommend maybe picking up where you left off in Twin Peaks. I, I know it can be a, a bit of a head trip, um, but uh, and it's yeah, not always I, worth the <laughs> worth the uh, effort. But um, if you're interested in that like specific subset of ideas, that I think you might find something interesting there. Okay. Yeah, I, w- I want to finish Twin Peaks so I can finally watch Twin Peaks The Return because I know everyone was raving about it. So I need to, I'm going to get on that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited to do that. Uh, I also rewatched Attack the Block. Um, it was uh, a movie that was trending earlier this week because of, in the wake of sort of uh, John Boyega's really powerful Black Lives Matter speech. And I had only watched it for the first time recently um, and decided to revisit it again because it's streaming on Pluto TV for free, which is not a streaming service that you have to subscribe. You can just watch it on your computer. And um, yeah, this movie rules, guys. It's just so such a good, fun little gem of a genre movie uh, directed with such energy by Joe Cornish. And um, John Boyega is so good in this movie. And it just reminded me how underserved he is in the Star Wars films and how much of a powerhouse he is in this film where he gives you a character that is not exactly a hero, but someone that you sympathize with regardless. Um, And I just, I absolutely love like seeing John Boyega in this film, seeing a pre-Doctor Who, Jodie Whittaker too. And uh, it's just such such a fun um, and violent genre film. And uh, I, yeah, it's, it's great. And it's just a, an underrated um, genre classic and you guys check it out um last thing guys i finally started watching better call saul (laughs) yes so i i I love breaking bad and i had watched the pilot for better call saul um when it first came out actually and i remember thinking well this is interesting and then i never got back into it so I finally sat down and I've started watching Better Call Saul. I'm almost done with the first season now. I just kind of ripped through it and watching it, it just made me realize how much I miss great, uh, what like greatly written character dramas. Like It's not like I was watching trash before, but oh, the writing <laughs> in the show is so, so good. And, um, but it feels like really familiar in a way too. Like, um, like a, I guess it's because I'm familiar with Vince Gilligan's narrative beats and his style that it almost feels like kind of falling back into it is uh, so easy with Better Call Saul. And um, I just, uh, I'm really enjoying uh, this almost kind of uh, slightly different twist on the, um, what, what kind of arc would you call it? Like the anti-redemption arc. <laughs> um, I, I like that like slightly different twist with Saul in that it feels uh, inevitable in a way that is more tragic just because the call of criminality is so strong that Saul, despite his best intentions and his best efforts, can't help but fall back into those criminal ways. It's just too easy and too natural to him. Um, it's almost like gravity. It's just inevitable and um, but kind of a little bit more tragic in that way. And I really enjoy seeing that. And um uh, Bob Kirk is great. Uh, Jonathan Banks ripped my heart out. Uh, what was it episode five um, of the first season where he has the the solo episode where you find out Mike Ehrmantraut's, um backstory? Oh, God. Oh, he's so good in yeah. that episode. 
Ah. All right. Anyways, love Better Call Saul. I'm really excited to keep watching it. I can't wait until you get to like season three or four. Like, I feel like, I, I mean, it's all good. It's all really good, but I feel like it, it does ramp up. Am I wrong about that, Chris? Like, does it ramp up in like the mid, like, I guess probably like season three? Sorry, what was your question? I was looking. Better Call Saul. We're, we're talking about Better Call Saul. Like, right, right. I, I, I was saying, I think it ramps up. Call Saul. <laughs> No, I was. I just missed Peter's question. <laughs> I, I was saying I think it ramps up like around like season three, like even though it's like all good. It's all good. But I feel like it does like it goes from like A to A plus like somewhere in like. I mean, yeah, I, three or four. I loved it from the beginning, but there is I can't remember what season it is, but there is a season where it's it stops being like this quirky show and it turns into something like nerve wracking. Like it starts getting like very. <laughs> very tense uh but yeah i mean i i i've loved it from the beginning and i, I said this before but I, I i honestly think it's better than breaking bad yeah oh I I, have, I, 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 oh, go ahead. I I was gonna say i think for me it, it is when it starts being it stops being a show about him and his brother and becomes more of a show about him and kim uh th- that relationship i think is kind of the core of the show but uh yeah okay uh mm. what were you gonna say hj I do have one maybe slightly controversial thing to say about Kim Wexler, who I know is everyone's favorite fan favorite character. Uh, but my first impression of her is that her voice sounds like Elizabeth Holmes' voice. <laughs> She's like one step away from sounding like she has a frog in her throat. Otherwise, great. <laughs> She's great. <laughs> Anyways, that was just my first impression of her. I'm like, wow, her voice is really deep and throaty. Like she has something stuck in there. Um, but that's my only bad it's not even a negative opinion. It's just kind of a silly observation. <laughs> you have personally insulted Chris. Uh, yeah, I, 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 right now. I'm very, I, very upset. That you I'm sorry. <laughs> I will say that she started out like as a side character that was like really not much of anything in that show in that first season. Yeah, I was, she... I was reading up on this and it's sort of the same thing that happened with Aaron Paul in season in Breaking Bad where uh, Aaron Paul was a writ. His character was originally supposed to like supposed die. To die. And but they realized, oh, this guy's a good actor. Let's give him more to do. And sort of the same thing happened with Ray Seahorn. Her name is pronounced Ray, by the way, which I just learned. I used to think it was Rhea, but it's actually Ray. But you know, she was written as sort of just side character, and then they realized, like, oh, this this actress is phenomenal. We need to give her more to do. And I'm glad they did because she's the the, the best character on TV right now. Yeah, it, it's crazy. I think in the pilot, she shows up for like, like you know seconds or something like that i could be wrong yeah she doesn't have uh, a line i don't think in the pilot yeah or no, she and has HG, like one I, line or something i don't care what you say hd i don't believe that pluto tv is a real streaming service or a thing that exists <laughs> it is if you google it <laughs> okay let's move on to what we've been eating uh this past week i've discovered this fast food restaurant called the waba grill and i guess like waba grill is kind of like a hawaiian food like Basically, they do bowls. It, it's kind of healthy food. I'm not sure if it's uh, Hawaiian. I actually don't know what kind of food it is. But it's it's mostly meat and veggies on top of rice. They have – you can get chicken or steak on top of rice. And it comes on the, with this, like, waba sauce, which is just good. And uh, surprisingly, for a fast food restaurant, I think, like, you really got to go, like, Chipotle or Waba Grill if you want something, like, healthy and fast. 
but I've been kind of living off this like every other day and uh, losing weight, eating Wava Grill. So I wanted to recommend that. I had never heard of Wava Grill before. Uh, I think maybe a week or two ago, but I've been uh, quite enjoying it. So, uh, Brad, what have you been eating? Well, uh, I finally got my hands on that DiGiorno croissant crust pizza that you talked about on last, uh, yeah, on last week's Ooh. water filler episode. Which which one did you try? I just tried the cheese. pepperoni one, um, and it's pretty good. You're you're definitely right. The crust doesn't look like it has that flaky croissant quality like they show on the box but you know the box is never representative of how the pizza actually looks anyway but i did like how uh crispy and and buttery the crust was it's um it's definitely on the higher end of the the frozen pizza quality and i I was pretty satisfied with it yeah the only thing is it looks nothing like the crust on the cover the cover like looks like it was like created by an artist that like actually took like a croissant and like jammed it in <laughs> yeah, the crust of the pizza. Yeah, I do wonder if it's intended to represent like what the crust looks like once you take like a bite of the end of it, because that that is when you do see like the flakiness of a croissant. But but yeah, the the box is is slightly yeah. misleading. <laughs> yeah, but it's very good, but very high in calorie and fat. So so I think uh, yeah. we both recommend it. So Jacob, you got to try the croissant crust pizza. Oh man. I, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> That was the best response. <laughs> um, uh, okay, Brad, what uh, else have you been eating? I also tried these rotisserie chicken flavored Pringles, um, which are, t- are a little odd at first, but then you, you have a couple that's like, oh, okay, I see what they're doing here. And it's basically just the flavor of the skin on a rotisserie chicken, essentially. What, whatever seasoning they use to make, make that like rotisserie uh, skin have that flavor. That's essentially what the flavor is on these Pringles, um, and it's not bad. Not one of my favorite flavors, but it was uh, it was it was decent, you know. It, and I think you can get that anywhere in stores right now. Just look in the Pringle section; it's pretty easy to find. Um, there's also a new uh, version of Lucky Charms all out called Lucky Charms Honey Clovers, where they've taken the normal cereal pieces and replaced them with um, a more of a, a honey flavored, uh, crispy version of that. Um, and it, it kind of reminds me of um, the honey version of kicks is essentially like what the what the texture and the taste is like. And, and I actually think that I like this better than normal Lucky Charms. Um, I, I, as somebody who is mostly just, you know, enjoy, enjoyed Lucky Charms on an average level, um, I am always up to see how they can make it better. And this is definitely an improvement on it. And so I hope it's something that they, they keep around. Because uh, they've kept around like the Frosted Flakes with Lucky Charms Marshmallows um, and th- th- a couple other different iterations. And this would be a great one, I think, to uh, to be a permanent addition to that lineup because it's, it's pretty dang good. And then um, I stumbled upon these by accident when I, w- I, w- I had gone to uh, CVS to pick up um, some allergy med- medicine. And I went to the candy section just to see if there's anything new. And there's these things that from a company called finney f-i-n-e and they're called uh, it's a it's a cinema mix of gummies and it has a, a weird assortment of shapes they have what they call strange fruit fingers which are like these green and yellow severed fingers with red uh nails uh berry bones a gummy side up egg a juicy strawberry and then this like strawberry and cream pinwheel looking kind of thing Um, and these are actually some of like the best gummies I have ever had. Uh, a lot of gummies, they're usually a little too chewy and you really have to like grit your teeth to get through them and the flavors are all that great. These are extremely soft 
and just the right amount of chewy and the fruit flavors are awesome in them so if you find these i um at check check cvs where all the rest of like the gummy kind of uh snacks and stuff are uh look for the finny cinema mix gummies they're weird shapes but they taste really really good if it's a f-i-n-i oh sorry yeah f-i-n-i yeah sorry uh, earlier finny cinema mix gummies chomp them up uh and then uh so we when we did our uh movie night we had a bonfire outside and i had gotten supplies at the store before then for some s'mores and i happened to find uh these chocolate filled chocolate marshmallows to make s'mores where it just has a piece of chocolate uh inside of the marshmallow kind of taking out the middleman of putting a, a hershey bar on your s'mores uh that yeah, is they're, they're pretty great um and they're they're pretty dang good too this is the first time i've actually had uh chocolate marshmallows for um s'mores i've always used the reg- uh just regular marshmallows um which i really should just up my game because i've seen so many other different iterations of marshmallows and for some reason have never thought oh i should get those for s'mores um but yeah it's from a company called stuffed puffs and they, they have regular marshmallows that are also filled with chocolate but I, I specifically want to try the chocolate ones um and they're yeah they're they're good it's uh, definitely makes it you know easier to assemble this more since you don't have to worry about trying to get it all uh, on the graham cracker and get it just right, which I'm I'm very meticulous about. Um, but yeah, so and those are all all over the place at different grocery stores and stuff. Interesting. Okay, let's move on to what we've been playing. And Brad, you you're the only one that's been playing anything this week, except for Jacob trying to complete. Uh, yeah, my friends puzzle. got me back into Grand Theft Auto Five. Uh, we've been playing a lot of Call of Duty on PlayStation, and a few of them, they've been playing Grand Theft Auto V religiously for a while because it's one of those games where they just keep updating and adding stuff for free with new uh, missions and game variants and cars and, and, and all this stuff. Uh, and one of my friends was just telling me about it and showed me some of the stuff that he's you know amassed for his, his empire and the cars he has, and I was just like, man, I should just get back in this game. So... There was a sale on it recently for I got it for PlayStation 4 since I have more space on my hard drive there and I have more friends who play it on PlayStation. So I uh, hopped on and set up a new character and kind of got started. And my driving force right now um, is just to get enough money so that I can buy. They have a car that is essentially the uh, the rights free version of what a DeLorean would be the best way that they can make a car that looks like a DeLorean but doesn't exactly look like it. And it also flies. Uh, so it, uh, the wheels flip up just like the Back to the Future time machine. It has these weird wings that jut out the bottom in the middle to make it different enough so that they're not infringing upon any copyrights. But you can you drive the car, you easily shift it into flying mode, and you can fly around all around uh, the city, and it's really cool. So, yeah, I've been doing just getting into that lately and doing random missions and messing around with them uh, in that world. And uh, I, I forgot how much fun the game is. It, it really is just a blast to just screw around in Grand Theft Auto V. Okay. I think that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast in iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And write and read this podcast in iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you on Monday. Hey. Hey, Peter. Peter. Jacob, it's it's been a long week. I know. That's why I'm bringing this up. <laughs> uh, this is normally the point in the show where I would read from the gargantuan book of insult, defense, and a uh, sharp retorts, proposed, quiz, quips, implied put-downs by Lewis A. Safian. 
but it's been such a long week. I'm not sure my heart's in it anymore. I wonder if it's time to retire the book. Peter, also wow. before we go, I just, I have to, this is on a totally unrelated note. I received a package today and it looked like it was actually from Jacob and I opened it right before we started recording and I, I pulled out the gargantuan book of insult, offense, and funnery, uh, sharp retorts, reposts, pasta quips, and impolite put downs by Louis A. Sapien, of course. So uh, I just turned to page 68, Peter, and it's the failures section. So uh, you know that, Peter, he has more pipe dreams than an organist. Yeah, yeah that old thing. Um, uh, Jacob, the person who sent me this fine book, uh, Jacob, he, he's as broke as a pickpocket at a nudist camp. <laughs> oh, it's true. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh we're all uh, failures here. Uh, HT, her trouble is in trying to run large-scale operations with a small-scale mind. Oh, you know what? Uh, it fits because I'm short. <laughs> uh, uh, Brad, everyone calls him the archaeologist because his career oh, lies in boy. ruins. I belong in a museum, too. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then old Chris, the only way he'll ever get up in the world is in an airplane. <laughs> I didn't read this beforehand. And I know Chris hates flying. So that's perfect. You know, Ben, this has convinced me the book will live on forever. No. <laughs> <laughs>